Welcome to Midlife Down Under, the podcast all about supporting you through the mayhem of midlife. No subject is off limits, from the ups and downs of parenting troubled teens to managing your midriff and losing your libido. This week, our guest is parenting guru, the fabulous Lisa McKim, who I met about 17 years ago when she hosted one of her very popular parenting courses out in our coastal backyard. Not only did she engage our group of playgroup mums, but managed to hold the attention of all the farming dads who begrudgingly attended. Lisa's the mother of four children who also happen to be four of her best friends. She's been coaching parents and professionals in building happy relationships since 1987. She's an author, columnist, educator and occasional radio and TV guest. And as we found out, Lisa thinks that almost everything is improved by the addition of liberal amounts of laughter. Well, Lisa, thank you very much indeed for being with us on the podcast. We've received loads of questions from midlife mums who need help, particularly about their teens. Uh, They're worried about their teens. And so we want to put as many questions in front of you as we possibly can during the time that we've got you. First of all, let's talk about boundaries because several mums have said, how do I set the boundaries? How do I help them to stick to their boundaries? Is that something that, you know, you you would recommend absolutely and i think it depends on what kind of boundaries they're talking about but the boundaries that parents now in midlife have to set are different from the ones that their parents had to set your children are in their your um, homes for longer Um, you might even have their girlfriend or boyfriend living with you which is going to mean setting boundaries for somebody's partner as well as for them even if it's just the odd night staying over you know, there's boundaries required for that. There's boundaries required around finances. Who's paying for what? Who's, if somebody uses that whole tank of gas in the car, what's the boundary or what's the deal about that? So there's actually a lot of stuff. Was there any specific kind of boundaries? I think perhaps one of the things somebody did say was that they'd read, it was a bit like having a piece of elastic. So you say to your your, your teenager, um, look, Think of your boundary as a piece of elastic. It's my job to allow you to stretch the elastic, to learn what, make safe decisions. But when those boundaries are exceeded, sometimes I just have to pull the elastic back in again. And perhaps it's the conversations around those that are the hardest to have. I like I like the analogy of the, el- the elastic, but I see a pothole with that as well. In that if you, it's a bit like baggy, knicker elastic the more it gets stretched the slacker it can become so I think you have to be careful about allowing kids too much stretch around the boundaries otherwise they become more what the kids want them to be than what you want them to be but absolutely you have to tighten tighten those boundaries up if they are blowing their freedom Mm. for sure and that starts early on in life and it just really kicks into another gear in the teenage years yeah, I think um, from some of the people that I've spoken to, they say that um, they have issues on working out what, what is actually fair for the boundary, what is the right, you know, everyone, all parents want to be doing the right thing, don't they? For example, um, a friend of mine's daughter has recently got Snapchat. Well, her screen time use since having the mm-hmm. Snapchat has just rocketed. 
Yeah. And and she her the mum realizes that it's her form of communication just as we used to ring our friends, you know, when we were teenagers. But how do you sit how do you know what is an acceptable length of time to be on your phone? You know, your teenager to be on their phones. I think it's a really great example, actually, of boundary setting because um, I know somebody who's in the same boat and it's her stepdaughter. So so her stepdaughter's on a lot and her dad is not happy about that, but her mum, who lives elsewhere, obviously, is very happy for there to be a lot of freedom around that. So quite often you can have to have two different boundaries in two houses mm. about the same thing, which you can imagine is going to create a bit of kickback. So I think the first thing is if there's any way for a mother and a father, whether they live together or whether they don't, to have some conversation about it and say, are we anywhere near each other on the same page? Because United is going to make it easier for both of us. Then great. If that's not possible, and for lots of people it's not, then you simply have to decide what's right for you at your house and say, when you're at the other house, you can adopt whatever boundaries they've got. But while you're here, this is the deal. Mm. And be consistent in your house. And I think it's not the same as being on the phone when you were a teenager because there is an extremely addictive um, aspect to social media now for kids. So all of the... um, mathematical genius that goes Mm. into the background of whatever they're on is designed to hook them in and keep them in and if they start packing up and looking like they're going away then they triple their efforts to draw you back in so for teenagers now it's a lot more difficult than it was for teenagers 15 or 20 years ago so um, because it's addictive then I I absolutely support any parent that's going to set boundaries that are quite strong around phone use and social media use. And I think there should be a limit to which apps you let them have and a limit, a daily limit to how much time you allow. Mm. But at what age do you have to pull back a little bit and allow them to make their decisions about that? I mean, is... 14, 15, 16, at some point you you can't keep those Mm. strong boundaries, can you? No, you can't because once they leave home, they'll be like a kid who's let loose in a lolly shop and potentially just spend all day, if they're at uni, not going to lectures, mucking around with all the freedom that they've got. So you do want to give them increasing freedom, but what has to happen with that increasing freedom at home is that they still have to adhere to all of the standards that you've got because it's your house. If you expect them to be at the dinner table when you put the food down, staying in their bedroom and wanting to eat while they're on their Snapchat or whatever else it is, um, playing Roblox or whatever, um, is not okay. So you hold those other boundaries in place um, and when they get to go, they get to choose their boundaries once they live independently. But you still have some influence over that, you know, when they're at home with you. I mean, it's terrifying, isn't it? Because although we're here talking about teens and parenting, the issues for us, the women as the parents, are so different from what our parents faced. Yeah. You know, if you made a phone call when we were young, you were on the phone briefly um, because it was so damn expensive. So it was a real treat to talk to your friend on the phone, wasn't it? Mm. And now we're dealing not only with, with 
with with the internet but the fact that it's there all the time it's terrifying it's out there we've got our own issues around that and we're trying to yeah. protect our children from that but in doing so we put a lot of our own vulnerabilities onto them yeah well you know for the people who are the parents at the moment of those teenagers they're in a unique position as well so their kids are going to be at home for longer they may take on the care of their aging parents or be involved in the care of their aging parents and people are living longer so that experience is going to last a long time there might be complete overlap between the kids still being at home and when they have to start caring for Mm. their grandparents so there is no golden years where you get to do what you want anymore so we have to think about how we create a sustainable life and get some of the good stuff in the middle of the journey rather than thinking later on all this pressure is going to be gone and then I'm going to have all that freedom because it's probably not going to happen anymore. And parenting is a lifelong task, isn't it? It's not, uh, it's not, the attitude has gone, hasn't it? Where, oh, they're 18 or they're 20, they've left home now. Oh, phew, I can sit back. It doesn't work like that. No, but you know, if we want to like look for the silver linings, which is always a good idea, <laughs> um, why weren't we always living a sustainable life with joy all the way along anyway? <laughs> it makes a lot more sense than to think, oh, well, when I retire at 65 or 70 or whatever it is, then I'm going to do these things. Your health might not be in good enough, Nick, or your energy might not be what it once was to enjoy those things. So maybe planning them in when you are in the middle of it all is a better idea. Mm -hmm. That Mm. sounds very sensible to me. Uh, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right too. I think, um, you know, that, that me time, however you can fit that in is going to um, rejuvenate your life you know whatever stage you're in isn't it I think women particularly haven't been very good at that you know the idea of sitting around not doing much because sometimes that's what you want to do for your treat is just to sit around and not do anything Um, but there's a message in the back of the head about well okay what time is it can't sit around doing nothing all day long Um, you could if you wanted to and maybe you need to rewrite that story. It's why I've got two swing hammocks and my trees in the garden. That is my happy place. It's also the happy place for all the little children that come and hang out in the garden. But, and some people will say, well, gardening's my, my joy. And so you can be like two birds with one stone, getting some work done at the same time. But I think we should be more conscious of what brings us joy. I don't know that we're conscious enough of it. Mm. just Mm. take time to smell the roses think of the things that you like to do and I guess in a way it's also you know if we take time to do that then we're role modeling for our teens aren't we yes because their lives aren't going to be any better than ours no but so they can see that you know yeah it is all right for mum to sit down and uh, read a book or Mm. you know you don't have to be go 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 all the time yeah well we our role model is contagious so whatever kind of life we're living we're teaching our kids. And so like as three women sitting here around a table, we teach our daughters how to be in life, but we also teach our sons what to expect in a partner. So if you have been going hell for leather, covering all the bases, your boys will grow up to expect that mm. their partners will too. Mm, that's know. interesting. Mm. I hadn't thought of it like that before. You're doing a good job, Shana. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask my son that. 
<sighs> right, on to the next question. So Wendy um, wrote in and said she's caught her teenage daughter telling fibs. She didn't go into too much detail about what those fibs were, but I think it was something to do with parties, booze and boys. How should she handle that situation when her darling daughter has started telling a few little lies? It probably would be a pretty rare household of teenagers that didn't get some of those. So I think this is going to be relevant to everybody. But the first question that I always ask, and it doesn't matter whether somebody's come to talk to me about their four-year-old and their weird relationship with the truth, or whether it's a teenager, is why are they afraid to tell the truth? That's the first question you should be asking. So it's either because... Uh, they know that you would say no because they already knew the standards um, or it's that they are afraid of your response um, afraid of disappointing you or afraid of um, your no will make them not part of the group that they're in so actually those are the conversations that you need to be having so it's about conversations when your kids are not connecting with the truth and sharing it with you so for me, some of the things that I have absolutely loved on my journey as being a parent is, um, for instance, when one of my kids came home from school, and um, it's my son, I've only got one boy, he said to me, and he was about in the, oh, what was the fifth form called now, year 11? Yes. 11. Yeah. Mum, I got caught today um, wagging. And I was like, inside my head I'm going like, that's not how it works. You're not supposed to tell your parents because that's how I was. But I think he told me because they had walked through the grounds of their old school in the middle of the day and he was pretty sure that they would have been reported to their high school. And he was right about that. So the school did call me. And then um, after talking to the school, they said, well, we, you know, he's um, got a Saturday detention for that. So I said, well, there you go. That's your consequence. And... And he said, oh, what are you going to do, Mum? And I said, well, nothing. The school's handled it. You were bunking out on their time. So that's it. And he said, oh, OK, then. And I said, do you think you've learnt anything from that, Nick? And he said, um, well, I know what you want me to say, but I don't honestly think I could say I won't wag again. And I was like, eyebrows up. <laughs> OK, well, that was honest. Because really, honesty is what you want, right? So a month later, he comes back to me and goes, oh, mum, I need to talk to you again. And I'm like, okay, has it got anything to do with wagging? And this time it was worse because four boys had gone at the same time from the same English class in the car of a driver that wasn't licensed for passengers. So the, there was a, a much bigger conversation to be had around peer pressure on one young driver to take extra people, the, what could have gone wrong, all of that sort of thing. And also in my own head, I'm thinking about the dumbness of anybody taking four people out of the same English class thinking you're not going to be noticed. But I was so grateful for the fact that we got an open conversation and he knew the school would call me. It's not like he didn't. But we'd already had our conversation around the boundaries. So honesty and openness can only come if you don't freak out when they tell you things or ask you things. So if your kids ask you permission to go somewhere and you know that you wouldn't dream in a million years of saying yes to that, say your no really calmly with some understanding that you know that they'll feel maybe the odd one out, but maybe other parents will also be likely to say no, so they might not be the only one that's not going. 
So a calm, I think the best line I ever heard, so this isn't an original from me, it's like when you're talking to your teenagers, be unshockable. Mm. So you just... It's so hard. It's, it mm. is hard, but I'll tell you what, it's worth the effort because I have had so many good, honest, calm conversations with kids because I stayed in the unshockable phase on the outside, right? <laughs> Not always feeling that on the inside. What about when, when you apply those theories that you've just talked about, mm-hmm. but you still need to respect their privacy? So say you're wanting to have a conversation or you're inquiring about a boyfriend or something and you're actually told, Mum, it's not really any of your business. <gasps> mm. How do you cope with that? That's an interesting one because if you've got a, 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 either a male or a female, but I think we'd all say particularly a female child who may end up pregnant and carrying a baby, um, we know that the repercussions can be really big. And so at the very least, if you've got a child that you think may be sexually active, you need to have that conversation. If they say it's none of your business, then you say, well, I'd like to take you down to somebody who's not me. So you can have a conversation without feeling judged at all and make an appointment at the family planning clinic and set them up. Now, you know, this is what's happened at home. I need somebody who's really kind and understanding um, that will give her the right information. But also, your sons should know about all the Mm. right parts of contraception as well. So I think it's about stay calm, but there are some places where you will know you cannot back out, even though you get what they're saying. It might feel to them like it's none of your business, but maybe there's an auntie or a best friend that could step in and say, right, well, you might not want to have that with me, but it's your choices between me, auntie, and, you know, the clinic or mm. whatever. So you give them some options. And you say, and if you choose auntie, I will say she needs to promise not to share what you've told her with me. So you're setting up some options for some safe places for conversations, but you're not letting that not happen. How do you not be hurt by the words? How do you not take them personally as a mum? I think by realising that they are on a journey to adulthood and that there's going to be times where they just think it's too embarrassing or probably more than anything, I'm going to let you down if I tell you what I'm thinking, mum. Do you think um, that when they don't want to tell you, um, you know, personal things, like you were talking about, Lisa, do you think you have to sort of just try and take a step back and realise that they're going to have their secrets or their bits of information that you, you know, aren't going to be privy to? You just have to accept that and think of the things that you didn't tell your own parents Mm. yeah I think it's about being discerning right so some things you will let go Mm. right pick your battles yeah totally Uh but the big things like how to stay on a path to not have a baby when you're not ready for it Mm. that's not a conversation that you should avoid no that's right next question Mm mm-hmm another mum wants help with encouraging her teenage son to eat healthily any tips there that's so frustrating isn't it because they want coke or they want a takeaway and you're thinking but there's some really healthy food in the cupboard why can't you have that so the first thing i'd think about is is there also the unhealthy food in the cupboard because if you're providing it that's an easy fix 
But um, if they've got an after-school job and they've started to earn their own money mm. and, uh, you know, the burger place is on the way home, then that's not so easily fixed. All I would say is you would absolutely make sure that everything they eat from your house is on the healthy list. Yeah. And if you really think, but I love chocolate Wheatons, um, or whatever it is, stash them somewhere. <laughs> Don't have them out where <laughs> they're the, in the yeah. Yeah. Don't have them in the public arena. And I know that they, when they first start earning their own money, and you know have that independence, or when they first get their car, so they can actually, you know, drive themselves around. They do go a little bit wild with it, don't they? Yeah. And I, I've noticed that most of the time they do come back and so when the, when now because they're not my two aren't at home when they do come back i just keep thinking how many veggies can i get into them and you know how well can they leave home again stocking up those nutrients and and i think the message they come back to that if they've grown up with a good healthy diet it comes back yeah it's a, it's a fleeting sort of thing when my son went flatting I bought him a recipe book called bacon is not a vegetable (laughs) (laughs) he's a great cook yeah and I'm sure he did go through his years of just you know pies and chips and what have you maybe that's just a part of and the human body at that age is fairly you know fix itself fixing yeah resilient yeah and if they really start to feel like sluggish or their weight's shooting upwards they'll usually do something about that themselves Mm. right now we've got one here that talks about what should we do when we find ourselves getting angry with our teenagers because i know that you know that Uh, menopausal rage is real Mm -hmm. and a lot of our children when we're going through that our children are going through puberty Mm. and finding themselves and they get really angry as well if you find that you there's a lot of tension and shouting in the house how do you would you handle that so there's probably a few things that that I might think to do one would be to sit down at the table and have some conversations not so much in here are the rules that everybody's going to follow but it's how can we solve this together it needs to be a team thing mm-hmm. and there's benefits for everybody so it's to everybody's benefit and advantage to have a say and if they if they go i don't care do what you want then it's like okay you might not like the results if i if i'm in charge of everything but here's your chance to have a say you know and and really the overall health of your relationship will impact on that roundtable conversation. So if you've been gradually getting in a worse and worse position, you might have to do some repair work before you sit down and think, let's work as a team. You know, maybe you have to start scoring what a good relationship you've got in your mind out of 20 and think what would take it up one number and just keep doing that. Do you think that it's worth explaining to your teenager at the right time, obviously, that you're going through your own hormonal changes yourself i mean are they are they interested will it help i think you could draw some parallels between what they're going through and what you're going through so there might be some mutual understanding because of that because the fact that hormones can whip you from left to right in 0.3 of a second um is is a universal truth for both of you you know they don't get the same heat flushes etc but the mood things they would understand Mm. 
and they're having certain days that are really bad days. So you might say, well, let's have some, let's cut out some big red heart cards or something. And um, if you're having a bad day, on one or two days a month, you're allowed to use your heart card and everybody will be kinder and gent more gentle around you for the day. And so mum can use that just the same way as What a, a good can. idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get cutting out on yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> Do remember that there's a limit on it. Yeah. Your kids will be putting it up all the time otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> or yeah. I will. Yeah, or you will. <laughs> the main area of concern for so many uh, of our midlife mums is helping their teens cope with anxiety. And let's face it, that can come in any form and with the world seemingly going quite mad at the moment there are so many areas where yeah. it can impact i guess we could talk about different things but i'm thinking maybe covid the current environment that we find ourselves in the online learning i do the same rules apply regardless of the cause of the anxiety well yeah i think anxiety is a great subject to talk about and i had noticed that more parents wanted to talk about their children's anxiety even before covid arrived so COVID has just pushed that into orbit. And you know what, adults as well get a sense of when you're in lockdown for a long period of time, did you find it was harder to come out of your, your cave at the end of it? Um, lots of people did. And so kids were the same. The idea of going back into classrooms and teachers' expectations that they couldn't avoid, like they probably managed to when they were being homeschooled, all of that, it was like a big, you know that day of going back to school, everything hit them all over again. It was like starting high school again. Mm. And then you've got how everybody's dressing, which you didn't have to compete with or worry about before, how hot you look or not. So I think that social interaction became harder after the lockdowns for teenagers. But it also became a bit harder for a lot of their parents who had been through quite a stressful time trying to work at home while there was kids in the background trying to make lunch at an opportune time while they were in a meeting, on screen, all of that sort of thing, the pressure of having to do some homeschooling hours every day on top of their workload from work. Mm. And particularly we know from the research that that hit women more than it hit men. Men didn't also do so much of the childcare, there was more mess in the house because everybody was at home all day long. And women probably spearheaded the cleanup at the end of the day. Even if all hands were on deck, they still were the manager of that. So it's not only the kids, but it's also their parents and mothers in particular that have been carrying a lot of extra stress. And with stress comes anxiety. And one of the things that I hear more of than anything else is kids worrying if they're going to be good enough. Good enough for the teachers, good enough for their friends, good enough for um, you know attracting the eye of somebody that they've got a crush on it feels like there's a lot of worry. So yeah, a lot of people I'm talking to at the moment have come to see me about that exact subject. So what are your main tips for parents trying to support their children through that? So the first thing is you can't just tell your kids to, you know, take a concrete pill or try harder. It's not like that with anxiety. In fact, a lot of anxiety came about because they were trying harder. So what you actually need is some conversation that's non-judgmental. And if you think that you can't manage that, then you get a close family friend or a relative involved, 
or you go and like make an appointment to go and see somebody who knows how to stay in the neutral zone when they're having those conversations. But kids need to be free to empty out their story. I can't tell you how often I talk to, you know, a a child or a teenager and I'll say, and does mum or dad know that? And they'll say no. And then I'll talk about the advantages if they did know that. And then I'll offer to be present when they tell their mum or their dad. And I'll say, how about they come in and sit down with us and I'll sit on the couch with you and be right next to you while you're telling mum to make sure that you get your story out with no interruptions. And they'll usually say, yes, please. So the extra support is uh, crucial. Yeah. Yep, they just sort of feel, so this is a big tip for parents, they feel like they'll get shot down Mm. if they are trying to do that by themselves. So that's a big lesson to us as parents, isn't it? Mm, It is. Yeah. What about you've got your your older teenager at home, they've been back, you know, through lockdowns, and then suddenly they're gone to university Mm -hmm. or, you know, moved away. For whatever reason and they so they're by themselves managing their own lives but this anxiety i mean we've always been taught to you know for our children to have high expectations for themselves and for who they have relationships with and what have you so we want them to have high expectations but then you're saying that they're putting a lot you know this pressure that's on them to be the best that they can be is sort of making that anxiety worse Yeah, I think, when I think back to when I was a young mum in the um, late 70s, there was lots of books and lots of word out like, you can have it all. You can be working and have children. You don't have to choose. And for me, it feels like that was the time that the pressure started to pile in, Mm. that it wasn't only an option. It was becoming a bit of an expectation. So we treat everybody else the same way we treat ourselves. And I know when I first heard that 30 years ago, I thought, oh, is that really true? I don't know if that's right. Honestly, after thinking about it for 30 years, I can tell you that there is a definite connection. So if we've got really high expectations for ourselves, guess what? Mm. Our kids will too. And, you know, I'm not saying it's the only source of anxiety, but I think it's one source of anxiety. Mm. That's interesting. Mm. What about if you think... Um, your child could do with um, talking to someone, a counsellor or, you know, someone who could talk to them that they, you know, not parents. What if they say no, don't want to, don't want help, don't want to talk to them, they're not going to be able to help me? I think that happens all the time. I'll usually suggest two things to parents if they've rung me to talk to me about um, becoming involved in their family like that. I will say to them, the first thing is you need to say, not you need to see somebody, but are you prepared to go once and just see what you think? And if you don't like the person, you don't have to go back. That way it's an hour out of their life, Hmm. you know? And the other thing is that if they're kind of hovering about whether they'll come or not, I'll just say, um, can you give me their phone number? I'm going to give them a call so that they can meet me on the phone first. And then my job is to say all the things like, oh, you probably just think, oh, I can't think of anything worse than going and talking about my stuff to a complete stranger. And they'll go like, yeah, that's kind of 
True. And then you keep telling them all the things that you get that are their worst fear. And at the end of it, that's gone. Mm. So you can ask for whoever you've called and made the appointment or want to make an appointment with to do that, to help take the fear down. And I do that actually with in lots of situations. If I'm working with somebody who is um, under the wing of Oranga Tamariki and their children are in care, my first connection with them starts with a great phone call. Nice to help them feel like you're going to be different from all the other places or people Mm. that they've talked to before. So you want that for your child, right? You want Mm. that kind of connection to begin on a phone call. And and really, whoever you talk to, if they're worth their salt, they'd be prepared to do that. Yeah, well, the trick is not to try and convince them about what you want to give them it's to be such a good listener mm. that they realize that you get it whatever's yeah. going on for them so then they think well like you you wouldn't be like talking to my mum so all right then you know and I'll always say and you only need to come see me once and if you don't think it's the right thing for you you're in charge as soon as they think they're in charge that makes a difference yeah that's yeah. good tip earlier Sean said has this anxiety always been there? And you said you don't think so. You think that the anxiety levels are much, much worse now. I think, I'm not saying that we've ever been anxiety free, but I think that the levels have worsened. And if you get into the world of epigenetics, which is the fact that we don't just pass on things like curly hair or eye color, that we can actually pass on emotional well-being in our genes. If if you've had a sort of a 7 out of 10 level of anxiety, you're going to have a built-in module for that in your baby. And then they're going to add their stuff to that. So you can see that. And and the good news is because epigenetics means that genes can change and you can pass something different on, we can start changing that now. And we can teach our kids to change that so that they Mm. are passing on less to future generations. And I think that's a really valuable way when you're talking to your teens. If you do a little bit of reading about epigenetics and say, look, it's not just for your benefit, but it will be one day for your children's benefit as well, then it's kind of a bigger picture for them that they wouldn't have thought of before. Mm. Mm. That's a top tip. We haven't talked about anxiety and the internet and all of the peer pressure and the TikTok and the, you know... Likes. Oh, yeah, you mentioned, yeah. Um, you know, it's addictive. Uh, I think somebody once said to me that it's like a dopamine hit. It you is. know, when those when those pings go or the likes and they're counting the likes, it is like getting a dopamine hit, which is, you know, equivalent to a piece of chocolate or sex, actually, as well. It's yeah. that much of a rush for them. Yeah. Crikey, we didn't have to worry about that when we were young. Thank you. But they do now how can we help i mean i'm talking about the anxiety side of it i I heard what you said earlier about trying to reduce the the screen time and everything but it feels just so hard sometimes yeah well actually it does go back though to the reducing the screen time because like any drug and, and i think it's best to think about all of that social media stuff all of those apps that our teens are glued to the the likes or even the winning if you're winning if you're getting points that are going up on something it's like being down at the pokies you know 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a definite addictive nature which has been scientifically proven. So why would you put your kid in the bedroom with a bag of cocaine? Because honestly, it feels like that to me. And then, so it's not only the addictive stuff, but it's the content in those things. That I have a young client who is secretly buying G-strings and doing her own version of like what she calls Kardashian photos which is all sorts of selfies Mm. of various bits of her body. She's just 14 and a half. And she loves it because of all of the likes, all of the likes that she's mm. getting. And a lot of those likes are sort of male names that she's never seen before. So... Dangerous. So dangerous. Mm. So dangerous, but she feels gorgeous every time there's another like goes on there. So that stuff is poisonous and we have to keep our kids away from it. Oh, it's terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. I know, I, I can feel your stunned milletness. <laughs> what, what really worries me is what happens when they've already got it? Yeah, take it away. Still, Just take, take it away. Take it away. And I mean, it's not their fault that they've become addicted to it. It's designed to do that mm. to them. So we can't yell at them when no. they are sneaking it or crying about the fact that you're the meanest mother ever mm. um, the first thing I would say is darling if I'd realised what this did to people I wouldn't have let you have it in the first place I just didn't know but now that I know I'd feel criminal to just let that go mm. so I'm really sorry and I'm going to try and come up with fun ideas that we can fill in the spaces with Things that will not have that negative impact on your life. But, you know, it's not your fault that you got so drawn to it. And it's not my fault that I let you. This is new times and new potholes that are arriving all the time for parents Mm. and their kids. And it's okay to um, show that you're not perfect and we're learning to. Yeah, I often think the best way to go into a conversation with a teenager is to apologise for something, you know. I can remember saying to my son once, he was like, I don't know what it was, it was something like packing rubbish lunches for school. And I said, oh darling, I need to apologize to you for something. And um, he said, oh, what, what about? And I said, look, I have been keeping far too much options that are not healthy in the house, and I'm going to fix that. <laughs> How brave. <laughs> and I could see he thought, I've been tricked. You made me listen to you. <laughs> But um, it's an easy way to start a conversation. I have something I need to say sorry for. Mm. Because people will often say, my kids just won't listen to me. Well, they will if you start with that. (laughs) Well, that might be the top tip of them all. I can if if this if I was listening to your podcast if I'm listening to this I'll be scribbling all this oh man this is what I've got to say here this is what I've got to say. (laughs) Yes, love it. My mum was a very private person. I've tried really hard to not be private with my daughter, but my daughter's quite a private person. I find it really hard to sit down and have the difficult conversations. Mm. I shy away from them a little. What would you say to that situation? Well, first of all, if you find it, if you're on the super hard end of that scale, I would have a third person help you with it. So you could be present and almost have like somebody facilitating that conversation, right? Um, and that way you won't get flummoxed and corner yourself and then go, should we have a cup of tea? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, 
But I think the first thing, if you've got a hard conversation to have, you know, I don't even know if it's, I don't know if it's a biblical quote, I don't know where it's come from, but that thing of um, seek, seek first to understand and then be understood. So listening comes before speaking. So that's the biggest thing, I think, with a hard conversation. You might open it up, but quite quickly say, tell me how you feel about that. So it's their chance to say something. And if you think they're going to be reticent about that, think about why they're reticent about that. Are they afraid that you will shut them down? And if you think that's what it's about, say, tell me what you think about that and I promise I won't make any comments or shut you down while you're telling me what you think. I will only listen. And so that's a good way to start a conversation because then you don't have to have a script all planned out. You're kind of just going to respond to what they say. And when I say respond, I don't mean with a judgment on it. So you've got to put your understanding shoes on and stay standing in those. So let's say they say something like, well, you know, it doesn't matter what age I am. I think I'm old enough to be having sex. Um, rather than go, good God, you're not even 15 yet. You know, which is going to shut the conversation down. We'll say, well, tell me about, tell me a bit more about that. So then they have to share a little bit more. Um, you know, I know somebody who, who's, who had a son and he was going out with a girl. They were both not quite 16. And, and he said to his mum, they had a pretty good, com uh, open sort of conversation. But he said to his mum, I just want to tell you that my girlfriend and I are going to start having sex. So his mum said, well, you know, you do know about the age thing and that if it ends really badly, really quickly, she could say that it wasn't consensual and you'll be in some deep trouble. And so they talked that through and then amazingly, mum touched on the subject of contraception. He said, we've already been together to the family planning clinic. <laughs> it's like, holy heck, okay. She said, I started to become a bit redundant in this conversation. But then she said, no, what about, you've both got studies this year. What if one of you gets your heart broken? And what if it's that you that wants to end the, the relationship with her? And what if that affects her outcomes educationally this year? And so they had this great conversation. She said, if you're the one that's going to end it, you have a responsibility to support her at least to the end of her exams. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. And mum said sometimes I'd go into his bedroom, it'd be 11.15 on a school night, and um, he'd be on the phone, and mum would sort of do the signals about, you know, what the heck are you still doing on the phone? And he would just do the crying eye, you know, thingy, mm. showing that somebody was crying on the other end of the phone, and his mum would just give him the thumbs up, because this mm. is the deal that he had made to stay supportive. So all of that came out of an open conversation. So to, to bring it back to what you were saying, Lisa, about how do we begin those hard conversations, we begin them by listening more than talking. You know, that's the key. And we have to get the more chances we give our kids to be open with us and they find that we didn't judge them or shut them down, the more safe they'll feel for the next one. And that's kind of how it rolls. That's great advice, isn't it? Great advice. 
Thank you so much, Lisa. Will you come back? Oh, mm. it's been such fun. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm that sure. Miranda says, such fun. Yes. But, you know, it has. It's been really great. Yes. Oh, well, we will look forward to having you on the podcast again. Thank you very much for your time. My pleasure. Such a good chat that was, Sean. So interesting. And what would you say was your main take-home message from our interview with Lisa? Well, I had never thought about the role modelling I do for um, my son. I always assumed that that was Andrew's department and I'd leave him to it. But uh, I think in the future, I'll be much more aware of how our relationship will guide both of our children. It's also, it's also made me think about how they see my happiness and my expectations for my life. And I really hadn't thought much about how that may influence them. Do they have much to say about this project, our podcast, and Midlife Down Under? Oh, yes. They say a lot. They have a lot to say about it. Um, they, I think Emma is quite proud that we've, um, you know, started something new and uh, are learning new skills, which, you know, I guess that's a really positive thing. My son, uh, he is a little bit different. He has got a really nice nickname for us and that is oh, no. the uh, midlife mandrels now if you go and google a mandrel there is no way that's complimentary harry potter <laughs> the funny little creatures in the flower pots is that right well that's one way of looking at them but if you also look there's a um baboon type monkey with a red bottom <laughs> oh i'm thinking mandrakes they yes. mandrakes in harry potter yes so oh okay monkeys Okay, well, monkeys are fun and cheeky. That's okay. Yep, I'd go with that one if I were you, Lisa. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the main thing that I took from Lisa's interview was that in amongst all the parenting, which is so rewarding and challenging sometimes, is the need for us to look after ourselves and just to sometimes grab that me time when you can. Oh, definitely. What's your thing that you like to do for yourself? Well, I quite like, at the end of the day, to just blob in front of a good British drama. But this weekend just gone, I found myself with some unexpected me time because we went to the beach with the horses and the sand was a bit soft and I couldn't keep... I was on foot, obviously, because you know I don't ride. Um, And the horse, before I knew it, they were gone. And I was just on this huge, long, black sand beach, kilometre after kilometre. Fantastic weather. The surf was up. And I took this big breath of salty air and I just felt so peaceful and um, and positive. And it was just a lovely, and I walked for probably about 5Ks on my own. There were other people around on the beach, not very many, but I just thought, thank you. This is just really nice. And it, and it just gave me such a boost all day. Oh, well, that's awesome to hear because sometimes, you know, at this stage of our lives, we just spend such a lot of the time rushing around chasing our tails that it is difficult to get those moments isn't it Mm. if you're at home and you want some me time what do you do well a couple of times in the last few weeks we're lucky that we've had such fantastic summer weather so it's been possible but i still go and do my jump into the creek and quite often quite late at night and um it is very it's a lovely time so not only are you having a bit of time to yourself, it's nice and quiet, but you're getting all the benefits of the cold water. Well, so they say. We'll see about that one. But well, I know I'm quite convinced because it definitely um, makes you feel more alive and more alert 
And it also helps with your sleep, I believe. Mm. If any of our, our listeners do cold water swimming, you should get in touch with us on the Facebook page and let us know why, why it works for you and what you like about it. I'd like to hear from more. I bet there are a lot more uh, secret cold water swimmers than we know about. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of this episode on Midlife Down Under. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Please subscribe and leave a review and then you'll get the next episode as soon as it's released. Please do share the podcast and our Facebook page, Midlife Down Under, with your friends wherever in the world they may be. But in the meantime, bye bye for for now. now.